Stephanie Coxon. And I'm Kathy Anderson Martin. And we are two women influencing real life. So let's twirl. Before we begin, we want to say happy Veterans Day to all those who've served our country and are presently serving. This weekend, we celebrate you and everything we have, our freedom and those things we enjoy, our way of life. We thank to our, we are so thankful to our veterans and those who serve. So thank you so much. And of course, we've heard of the greatest generation because during World War II, Americans were urged to plant victory gardens, which helped to ensure the food supply for everyone during a time of crisis. And Americans responded, and then they stopped, and they started to rely on the grocery store versus their yard. During the pandemic, we saw empty store shelves and supply chain disruptions and difficulty getting things we took for granted. So the interest in gardening and canning and food preservation has enjoyed a comeback, and that's a good thing. And today we're going to talk about food and gardens and so much more, things you need to take care of your family and to alert you maybe to some things that are happening that you should be aware of and prepare accordingly. So I am Kathy Anderson-Martin. And I am Stephanie Coxon. And we are two women influencing real lives, so let's twirl. And some people call that inspiring, but let's do this. <laughs> inspiring, influencing. Yes, I'm sorry, I misspoke. But tomato, we're going to tomato. Model. That's right. <laughs> Well, Steph, you and I have a great guest today, someone we know personally and love and enjoy, uh, Heather Andrews. Heather is a published author and speaker who routinely works with homeowners and businesses to create high-yield gardens with native pollinator habitats. She has won multiple state awards for pollinator garden design, and she attracts her, her designs attract pollinators to grow more food sustainably. She has been featured in magazines, PH State Publications, and you can uh, you can uh, tune into her on Facebook on the Th Thoughtful Gardener and on her YouTube channel, Garden Thoughtfully. So we're very excited to talk to Heather today. I know I personally have gotten more into gardening and uh, canning and so forth the past few years. What about you, Steph? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I used to just kill plants, and now I give my husband suggestions so that I don't kill plants. And he's a better gardener, I feel like, because of my suggestions that I've gotten from Heather. And as a matter I, of fact, I would say she's even toured our garden and said, wow. So just want to throw that out there. She, she's helped me as well. And now I've even extended into canning and uh, dehydrating. So, you know, we're, we're, we're all a dehydrator. Well, it's my air fryer slash dehydrator. And I can do, you know, I don't know that I'm going to be able to dehydrate enough mango for the apocalypse, but um, I'm working on, you know, some here and there. Well, so. and I want to say, you know, I think this is a very opportune moment to have Heather on because I think we too are in a time of crisis and with all the talks of war and everything else, people need to be aware of what to do. And I would say in terms of getting more output from our garden, and having an understanding of how to do that naturally, Heather has been a huge help. Um, I can't say enough what she has done to make it just so much easier and give me an understanding, even though I had zero understanding before. And she doesn't even make fun of me. No, that, well, that's a bonus. And I think the other thing that we're going to uh, learn from Heather is you might say, I don't have a yard. I can't do this or that. She has shown me you can use a lot of different ways and spaces to grow food and provide for you and your family. 
Yeah, so I've been to your house and I've walked up your sidewalk lined with fruit, like with food rather than flowers. Like it's I great. Know. I can like pick. Doesn't... It's like lunch as I walk up to your door. Well, it, and it doesn't look bad though. It looks no, it looks okay. no, no, it does. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not saying it looks bad. I'm saying I get to eat and like that's one of my favorite things to do is eat as I go up to your place. I think it's perfect. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> so- on that note, Heather, welcome to Twirl today. We're very glad to have you. So happy to join you, ladies. Thanks for having me. So the first question, Heather, um, you know, if someone is wanting to start to grow their own food or increase the food that they grow, can you just launch right into it with some suggestions and, um, you know, why maybe and what they should be doing? That's a lot of stuff, but uh, feel free. So I think the first thing I would say is uh, a good defense is having a good offense. So being prepared is really, really important. And what I try to tell people is if I told you there was a hurricane coming tomorrow, would you go ahead and go get your supplies? And the answer is yes. Uh, So we have seen several things uh, since pandemic in the gardening industry that I think are extremely positive. Uh, Some of our oldest seed companies the last few years have sold out of seeds. So it tells me that a lot of people are very interested in the topic and are uh, extremely um, happy to be growing food, whether it's on their porch, on their pot or, you know, in their yard or in a community garden. I think more and more people have gotten excited about it. Uh, One, because, uh, you know, there's something about We know from clinical research, touching the soil, touching the plants, breathing in those chemicals that these plants uh, release uh, that are extremely beneficial for your mental and physical health. So there's an extremely good reason to be outside and be in the garden. But I also think that people are doing it maybe a little differently than what the way that we've done it in the past. Um, I think my first thing would be is, you know, what do you have on hand? And so that doesn't mean that you need to run necessarily to your big box store and buy up everything, but you could very easily start looking around at local sales like yard sales and so forth. Some of the best equipment I've gotten are from other people um, because some of the more current Uh, especially if you're buying really quality stuff, isn't necessarily made anymore. So um, it's really important if you can to invest in in good supplies that are ergonomic, if you can, that are uh, long lasting, if you can. Uh, But seeds are really important. Um, I would say my biggest concern is where are your seeds coming from? Uh, The reality is, is that this uh, administration made a decision to release seeds into uh, that had been previously banned with a chemical you cannot see uh, that gets into the plant, gets into the seeds, gets into the soil, um, and unfortunately can be very, very dangerous for wildlife called neonicotinoids. And so really, really um, challenging yourself to understand the supply of seeds is really, really important. Um, Seeds, in my mind, is currency. And so um, I do a a whole lot of seed saving personally uh, every year from my own harvest. Uh, But I also am very, very conscientious about who I buy from. Uh, One of my favorite suppliers is Botanical Interest. And the reason that I recommend them is because they test every single lot. 
and they actually are looking for those impurities, those chemicals that you can't see, um, but they're making sure that their seeds are safe for you to consume. Um, heirloom seeds are a great thing. Um, I look, I'm a big fan of Baker Creek, which is heirloomseeds.com. Um, they are um, a very old, reputable company. They carry some really unusual varieties. So if you're looking for things that are a little different to grow, um, I like you put a lot of vegetables in flower beds. It's always like, what can I get away with? Because I live in a homeowner's association. And so, um, you know, I've grown corn in my front yard, which my neighbors find hilarious. But I, it's just to prove that it can be done. Um, and a lot of these vegetables have an ornamental quality to them. So I'm thinking about myself. I'm thinking about my family, my community, but I'm really thinking about the pollinators. And that's really where I'm a different kind of gardener um, than most traditional gardeners is everything that I put in my garden is really thinking about the little things that run the world. So did you guys eat today? I did. Yes. Yes. So one yes, out of every have. one out of every three bites of food you take is courtesy of a pollinator. So this is something I'm uber passionate about is planting for pollinators. So tell and, us well, tell us what a pollinator is, just so that everyone yeah. is clear. Great. So these are things that are responsible for actually growing food. Uh, so plants have a symbiotic relationship with these pollinators, and sometimes they're a specialist relationship. And what that means is that they give uh, in the form of carbohydrates, sugars, amino acids, uh, little tiny animals can be winged animals like bees or birds. Uh, and in exchange for them to coming to visit, they will then pick up pollen on their bodies. And then as they visit the next flower, they are cross-pollinating plants. And in some cases, if you like to eat apples and cherries, lots of fruits have to be cross-pollinated with another plant to be able to grow. So um, I really think about that when I'm growing my vegetables and growing my fruit trees is what can I do to get more pollinators in my garden? And this is a, le a lesson I learned from my favorite veteran, my uh, grandfather, Andrews. So with the, with the pollinators, you hear a lot about issues with the bees dying off and, and everything else. How does having your own garden help with that? And what is the reality um, of the farming practices used today that is adding to that issue? So there's two things that you asked here. Uh, one is uh, what are current farming practices and how can we go about this differently to grow more food? And so a lot of farmers and people like me are very into a practice called regenerative agriculture. And what that means is you're actually feeding the soil, because if you feed the soil, you have better food. And we talk about, you know, food that is shelf stable. Well, a lot of the shelf stable foods have been bred for longevity and uniformity and not for mineral and food content. So what we're really talking about is growing more nutritious food so that it is better for you. And the way you do that is you take care of your soil. And that means totally changing how you think about the way you farm. So it's really about putting good inputs into the soil with natural types of crop. This type of year, we do a lot of what we call row cropping with cover crops. So I use a product called 
uh, red clover. So what that does is it is actually a nitrogen fixer. I seed my gardens this time of year with that. It grows up in the spring, this beautiful crimson clover. Red color is one of the first thing that blooms that feeds the bees. You just then knock it down after it's done blooming, chop and drop it, leave it right there. And then you put your vegetables in right behind it. And what it's done is put nitrogen into the soil, which is one of the minerals that's required for our food to grow. Um, The second thing that I think you want to think about is um, when you're talking about pollinators, a lot of times the what gets the news and what we hear about is how endangered our honeybees are. But what you have to understand is that honeybees, while they were native prior to the ice age, were completely wiped out and they yet yeah, Europeans brought them here. So the actual insects that do the heavy lifting are our native bees. And here in Pennsylvania, we have over 400 native bees in the United North America, over 4,000. And they're the size of a head of a pen, and some of them are the size of a 50 cent piece. But when we look at the data, and I'm a, a researcher by day, the majority of our food is coming from these extremely efficient pollinators that you probably really don't notice unless you're a gardener. Some of these really big bees that we see are actually doing all the heavy lifting when it comes to our fruit production. Looking just at seven states in the United States, our native bees are responsible for $1 billion worth of apples. So when we're talking about growing your food, we're talking about growing for those local pollinators so that you can attract more of them to your garden so that you can also get more food. So Heather, I know a small thing that you told me to do that uh, in this regard to attract the pollinators, I always had like the vegetables and then the flowers separate is to put the flowers and the vegetables. So Stephanie commented on my front of my house. Thank you, Stephanie, um, (laughs) about my vegetables lining the walkway. And then there's flowers that that's a practical thing to do, correct? To put, so if you have a vegetable garden, put some flowers in there to attract these pollinators, right? Right. And that's what we teach people to do at Garden Thoughtfully on my YouTube channel is to combine those flowers and herbs in the vegetable garden. And there's many, many reasons to do that. First of all, some of these plants actually feed the soil. So if you're putting things like borage in in your uh, vegetable garden, you're not only increasing the amount of pollinators by those beautiful blue flowers, but those roots go really, really deep. So they're pulling up a lot of these essential nutrients that then feed your vegetable garden. So according to the data, if we can plant those pretty flowers, those, those pollinator hedgerows in with your vegetable garden, we can actually increase your yield up to 30%. And the University of Clemson actually did this in watermelon fields where they put hedgerows of wildflowers, native wildflowers, beside their watermelon uh, fields. And they were able to grow 30% more fruit than doing our normal bee, uh, like our our little bee houses that we would do for honeybees. So a lot of people think, oh, I have to have honeybees. Well, that's not really the case. What you want to do is to actually attract your local bees to come to your garden. So those are the squash bees and all those really cool looking. What about 
What about the really annoying carpenter bees? <laughs> yeah, I get that call. They are pollinators too. And so if you've got carpenter bees, what I would recommend is this winter when you lose some of your tree limbs, definitely create a little shelter for them. Put a little pile of those limbs, maybe on a corner of a property that you or your, your neighborhood isn't going to see it. And hopefully they'll use that instead of your deck. But they're really just opportunists. Usually they're actually coming into holes that have been created by like a woodpecker. So they get a bad rap, but in reality, they're pollinators too. So Stephanie, you'll need to be creating a little carpenter bee area in your home, so uh, yard, so that they can have their own little area. Correct. Because currently having a log home, they love my entire house, <laughs> along with the woodpeckers, to be honest with you. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, Heather, when you mentioned this, my dad, by the way, had kept honeybees. So I know all about uh, honeybee stuff, but I won't I won't share that yeah. incredible amount of knowledge I have after helping my dad, you know, with honey. But, um, you know, when you mentioned this, you know, a lot of people say, well, I don't have the space or I don't have a farm or I don't have an acre. Um, and I know this is something that's been transformative for me because I have a garden in the back, a vegetable garden in the yard. But a lot of growth of trees have provided a lot of shade. So some things don't do as well. So you told me about doing containers and so forth and those bags out in front that Stephanie alluded to. So can you share more about what people can do if they say that it's not, not having spaces isn't an excuse, really? Yeah. And that's certainly something we talk about, too, is that you know, even a pot on your porch can make a huge difference, whether you're growing food or planting for pollinators. Uh, the reality is, is that a lot of these things do great in pots or in grow bags like what you have, Kathy. Um, so it's important, though, to really study uh, what things can be grown together because certain things like tomatoes or water hogs, right? So you would not want to put them in the same container as probably things that don't like a lot of water. Um, so, but there are also plants that go together. I mean, ironically, tomatoes and basil go together and have a symbiotic relationship. And what we're trying to do is not only attract the good guys so you can grow more food, but also put the things in there that will repel the bad guys. So there are herbs and flowers you can plant that will keep these bad guys out of the garden. Therefore, you're not having to use uh, chemical intervention to keep them away. Um, I've been amazed. I mean, you gave me firsthand um, uh, advice into this, and I was amazed at the amount of food that we grew off of 12 bags or buckets in the front yard. And we ate, um, you know, we had peppers and tomatoes and kale and um, squash and various things, you know, and around the flower bed. So it really is something that can be done if you take the time and work on it and without a lot of expense either. And yeah. I think... Um, I think there's a lot of reasons that we want to do this. And I think we're going to go to break here in a little bit, but uh, just anything you could share, but to, to kind of tee that up, Heather, about, you know, why we should be doing this and why we should be investing in our own food. I mean, I definitely think that you have a lot more control growing your own food as to what's going in your body. Um, I was just observing in my own house, um, you know, green tomatoes that I've picked and I'm keeping until they go to ripen. Um, and then some produce that I bought at the store that ironically I've now had on my kitchen counter for well over a week and a half 
because the, the blueberries were not very sweet and I was going to take them back to the store and they haven't gone bad. So it tells me that that has been sprayed, even though it says organic, with some kind of preservative. And there is a new preservative in the market called Appeal that I want you to do your research on, but it's a vegetable oil. And I am very concerned that it could have potential effects on your health. Um, yes, keeping your produce longer, but in reality, is that really what you should be eating? Because if it's been trucked across the planet or across the country, um, it's losing from the minute you pick it, all those essential nutrients that potentially you might need. So I'm extremely um, very much in favor of supporting local farmers and uh, growing things yourself so that you're getting not only the nutrition as quickly and as, as you know, as, as healthily as you possibly could get it from the source. But in addition, you're eating your own pollen. And that's one of the things that since I've moved here to Pennsylvania that I'm really excited about. I came from a big city, Atlanta, eight years ago, constantly had um, terrible sinus infections, but every day I eat local honey. I'm eating my own produce as well as the produce of farms around me. And I just haven't been sick. And I think that's a, just a story that I can share with anybody that if you could help maybe pay a little more, but support your local farmers, I think your health will benefit from it. I certainly have. I, Stephanie, I think you probably agree with that as running a natural health practice, correct? Are you eating well uh, and how that has benefits health-wise? I tell you what, it's one of the number one conversations we have because really you are what you eat and it's so true. So anything that you're putting in your body is really either helping or hurting you. There's no in between. And so I'm a huge fruit and vegetable person. You know, I'm, I, I enjoy meat as well, but it definitely makes a difference, the quality of anything that you get. And so the first thing I like to do is look to make sure something doesn't have a label because if it has a label, it's not really a food. And then second is where is that coming from? Because eating stuff that's local is going to have a higher nutrient value. And personally, one of my favorite little hobbies that I do is I use a refractometer to, in order to measure the nutritional density. And so I can actually test, bring home different foods and test how nutritionally dense they are. And I can personally tell you that the grocery store items stink, that go talk to your local farmers, see how, who's been organically farming for how long. The longer they've been organically farming, the more nutrient dense it's going to be. And yes, you can measure that. There's the BRICS tool that is online. I get, I use the Utah one that you can just kind of Google but there's really something to be said for, you know, what you're putting into your body. So 110% agree, Kathy, even though you don't, you never listen to me except for this very moment. Like I'm shocked. I'm listening because I was just wondering where my refractometer is. <laughs> well, I'm just wondering when the last time you, you swung through McDonald's is. No, that is not fair. I didn't know. I've totally changed my eating habits over the past few years uh, with some of the people sitting here. And I am the first one to say that when you eat different and have a focus and invest in your health, it pays incredible dividends in how you feel and in health of body, mind, and spirit. So uh, I'm so proud of you, Kathy. Thank you, Stephanie. So, all right. Why don't we take a moment and go to break? All of our shows go to podcast typically a day or two after the broadcast is heard on talk radio. 
You can hear them on Spotify, Stitcher, Pandora, and iHeart Podcast, and many more. Be sure you subscribe and rate the show on Apple Podcasts for us. World-class care from doctors you can trust, all from the comfort of your home. That is One Wellness. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company launched the One Wellness membership to provide free monthly supplements and unlimited telemedicine access with doctors that share your values. Be a part of a revolutionary new healthcare system that puts your health and well-being above the interests of Big Pharma's bottom line. It's the way healthcare should be. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first month of One Wellness. Cofix RX Nasal Solution has completed the circle and is now offering throat spray with povidone iodine. That completes the protocol doctors like Peter McCullough recommend. If staying healthy is important, you'll want to make sure to add throat spray to your next order of Cofix RX. For a limited time and exclusive for America Out Loud listeners only, you can save 25% off your entire order. Let's double down against colds, flus, strep, RSV, HRV, COVID, and more. Click the banner or go to America Out Loud shop to get 25% off your entire order. Use coupon code OUTLOUD25. That's coupon code OUTLOUD25. The buildup of spike proteins is dangerous to your health. Global Healing's Foreign Protein Cleanse detoxes your body, removing the spike proteins, allowing your body to repair from within. Formulated by Dr. Edward Group and by Dr. Brian Artis, Foreign Protein Cleanse targets and detoxes spike proteins in the body. Go to americaoutloud.shop and get 15% off using the code OUTLOUD. Global healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. This is Jody O'Malley with Nurses Out Loud. Did you know our body is made up of trillions of cells and inside each cell, redox signaling molecules are produced? These molecules hold a sacred place in chemistry because as we age, the vital communication of our immune system becomes less efficient. For the first time ever, ASEA brings you the power of these molecules in a convenient and potent form to provide your body with the essential support it needs to thrive. Ever since I toured their facility, I take two ounces in the morning and evening, and my vitality and energy has been restored at a time I needed it the most. Go to AmericaOutloud.shop and get your exclusive 15% discount by using the code OUTLOUD. AmericaOutloud.news is beaten to the pulse of our nation. We know when you're angry, troubled, misled, joyful, and thankful. We know you because we are you. Join us as we explore the most important issues of our time. America Out Loud Talk Radio. It's a fight for the soul of humanity. So Heather, those are some wonderful practical tips and I know there's so much more uh, and I know there's an awful lot of people that are interested in this and looking at uh, more ways to grow their food and an interest in investing in their health through their diet. But um, my day job, I will admit, is executive director of a food bank. So there's a lot of crazy stuff that I see going on in the food supply and uh, you know shortages and so forth. A lot of the charitable food industry is really a government kind of program. 
And uh, that's pause for concern. And I could go on and on and on about that. But are there some things that you're seeing? You know, we've talked about on a micro level about your own garden and things you can do. But on a macro level, Heather, are there things that you're seeing that we should maybe be concerned about? Well, again, I think the research is certainly suggesting that um, using artificial chemicals on our gardens actually influences um, pollinator behavior. Uh, So I am uh, very much interested in looking at ways to naturally fertilize my garden so that I don't influence in a negative way uh, their behavior. So I'm learning about um, composting and how to use uh, different plants as fertilizer. So last year when I chopped down all of my comfrey, I made a comfrey tea and uh, we'll be actually feeding all my fruit trees this this fall with it as an experiment uh, to try to see how they respond to that. And if they're healthier, I don't use any chemicals on my fruit trees whatsoever, but um, I do want to try to uh, help them be very uh, healthy next year. So I'm going to try that. Um, I would say the other thing I would be uh, cautious of, I love no-dig gardening. Uh, Charles Dowding, who is an English gardener, uh, does clinical trials in his own backyard. He is a uh, actually sells at their local farmer's market. They are using the technique of no-dig, which means no-tilling, um, adding six inches of compost to your garden every year, which is the garden technique that I do and I teach to other gardeners. Um, and um, he shows that his yields are bigger and, as to Stephanie's point, are healthier. There's more vitamins and minerals in the food that they don't till because you're not destroying the soil structure. So um, I think that if you want to learn about no-till gardening, uh, you can follow Charles on his YouTube channel. Uh, We also um, do talk about it on our channel because it's something that I use in my garden, in my clients' gardens. We really try to disrupt the soil minimally when we're doing um, new garden installs to try to prevent that weed bed from coming up. Um, and I've had lots of success with that technique. Uh, but one thing you want to be cautious of if you're putting like some type of animal manure on your gardens is where did it come from and what did that animal eat? I would say probably one of the biggest disappointments I hear people um, say is that um, they weren't aware that their cows or, or wherever horses were eating grass that had chemicals on it. And then they put that on their vegetable garden, it kills their garden. So I would encourage you to test it prior to putting it in your garden. And then you've got a new problem to deal with. You know, it's, it's interesting you say that I didn't even think about that. And I tend to think through these things pretty, pretty well. So that's really surprising to me that makes that big of a that makes that big of a difference. I know personally, because a lot of cows are fed corn, I'm, you know, skeptical of eating you know, meat from corn fed animals. So that makes a lot of sense to me. I just never thought of it in terms of gardening. So that's, that's a big, you know, kind of thought bubble for people to, to understand. That's really interesting. Didn't, uh, I think one of you told me at some point, I mean, we used to, you know, fertilize the grass and the lawn and all that, that if you put chemicals on your lawn, it takes eight years or something like six to eight years for those chemicals to fully go away. Yeah. So, so the most common uh, herbicide used by homeowners is is Roundup, and the half life of Roundup is eight years. Um, so, I think that you know what I would encourage people to do. I'm not asking you to rip out your lawn. I live in a homeowners association. That's not possible. 
but what you might consider is reducing the size of your lawn. And you can do that with a no-dig technique this fall and actually take out part of your lawn to put in a vegetable garden. And the good news is, is that uh, the laws are in your favor. Uh, there are a lot of really fantastic gardeners who've come before you, worked with the states. There is actually legislation on the books now to allow pollinator gardens and gardens in front yards. And you definitely want to, um, you know, be aware uh, of what your local uh, jurisdictions are. But I just believe that it's really important that you have a way, whether it's using your churchyard or your backyard, or maybe even your kid's school to grow food and teach people where food is coming from. So that, you know, if we were to get in a situation where you couldn't drive or get fuel or go to the, the grocery store, where is your food going to come from? And that's why I think making a friendship and relationship with your local farmers becomes extremely important. Absolutely. And um, I think, you know, in, if there's an issue, I think, you know, we talk about growing food, but also preserving it and keeping your home well supplied. Because I think I've become over the past couple of years, um, and forgive me if I say this, because this term is a conspiracy theorist. You know, I have my little tinfoil hat that I put on. But uh, I really think I go back to Henry Kissinger, who famously said, control energy, you control countries, control food, and you control people. And, um, you know, we talk about supply chain disruptions and things. I think, I mean, from my seat in my workday, there's a lot of things that don't make sense, um, you know, whether that's and uh, our pause for concern because we all have to eat. And um, are there things, Heather, that you've seen? I know you've talked about seeds, you know, the importance to get seeds and have told me that. Are there things you're seeing that uh, give you pause for concern? I mean, I definitely believe that, um, you know, seeds, there are companies trying to control the seed supply. And um, when we look at some of the things that are allowed here in our farm and in our food, they're prevented in other parts of the world. And so um, it's really important to understand all the way back to the, you know, soil it was grown in and seed where it came from. I think all of that is incredibly important. But I would encourage you, if you're going to grow a garden next spring, to really and saving seeds and being a part of the community. Um, there are opportunities for you to work with seed banks, there are opportunities for you to collaborate with other gardeners, um, whether that's through Wild Ones, uh, that's a native plant garden group uh, that is all over the country that shares uh, native plants, which I highly encourage because those are plants that were born from your area, are used to your crazy weather, uh, can survive the droughts and so forth, and still support our local ecosystem, which is our local pollinators. So um, I'm a huge fan of, of them. And I'm a huge fan of, um, you know, the, the work that's being done through our local extension services. Um, you know, if you're uh, going to be uh, trying to find out how to do this, uh, a lot of programs are put online this time of year. So reach out to your local extension service Get a soil test so you understand what you're dealing with and what your soil may need. If you're going to grow food, uh, there may be nutrients lacking and they can give you specific information about um, for less than $20, 
uh, what your soil is and what it needs to be successful in growing food. That's important to understand where you are before you just launch into trying to go on this adventure. And can I, and can I say this for listeners that sunflowers are amazing for cleaning up your soil. And so if you live in an area that's very toxic or your, your soil is just absolutely awful, start with sunflowers and then throw them away in the garbage. Don't burn them or anything else, but, you know, dig them up, them away in the garbage. And then that should help with some of the soil issue, not everything, but it definitely, I, it, I know it definitely pulls out lead, for example, if it's an older house. Um, and, and some of those toxins. And so I think that's also important to know because that's a super easy, easy thing you can do to clean it up. Some some other things beyond that, and I've heard about this and I and through my work, I hear things going on, crazy things about farmers being told by the government what they can plant, what they shouldn't plant. I've heard of that um, around the world. You know, we, we hear this thing about in the name of climate change, let's get rid of the cows, you know, or whatever it is. Um, are you hearing those kinds of things, Heather, or concerned about those things affecting our food supply? Yeah, well, I just want to say as a researcher, you know, uh, climate's always changing. So uh, you're not going to be able to control that by getting rid of, of cows. That is not going to happen. Um, I also think uh, there's a, a movement to use things other than trees, um, which is really strange to me. Uh, the reality is, is trees are more than just um, amazing oxygen generators. Uh, they provide food this time of year in the form of nuts for, for our wildlife and they manage water much better than a lawn ever will. Um, so I do believe there's, you know, some people that are trying to capitalize, um, on making money, uh, by creating a problem. Um, in reality, um, you know, I think that, um, what we want to do is be good stewards of the land that we have, and that means um, thinking about, you know, supporting our farmers by growing local native pollinator plants and things that will help support our wildlife so that we can grow more food and we can help our farmers grow more food. So, you know, really being conscientious about who you're buying from. If your uh, grower can't tell you the provenance of that plant um, at a big box store, I would encourage you to buy from a local native plant store or a local um, a garden center and ask them point blank, where, where did this plant come from and does it have chemicals? And if they can't answer that, I wouldn't buy it. Um, lots of, of our, uh, lots of our um, pollinator plants actually come right from our backyards in the spring uh, where we're sharing those through master gardener programs and other things. So, you know, find out who your master gardeners are, attend their classes this fall, get familiar with other people who are growing. And the average age of a farmer right now is 55 years old. And so we're in serious, um, I would say, jeopardy of losing our farmland because the next generation has not invested in it. So um, I'm actively looking for farmland right now. And my goal would be that, you know, would actually have people like you that would be able to come there and be able to learn how to do this and learn, you know, how to grow their own food and uh, actually use the land to grow food. I, I think you might want to band up with some of your friends <laughs> and try to preserve this farmland because uh, we have people that are buying a significant amount of it right now and uh, trying to... You mean you know, people uh, who are not working in our favor, Heather? <laughs> 
I would just say that, uh, you know, it's a little concerning to me that south of here, our prime farmland is mostly being bought by warehouses. Uh, So if you're interested in eating local food, you probably might want to think about investing and maybe going in with some other people to preserve farmland around you so that it doesn't become a warehouse. Um, Other than... Is there a thing about, let me see, what is the gentleman's name? Bill Gates. <laughs> um, is it true that he and the Chinese <laughs> Chinese are buying up American farmland at great, uh, great. Um... My understanding is he owns more land, more farmland than the state of Wisconsin has acres. So uh, wow. it's not a small amount of land that has been purchased. Um, and, you know, my concern as a citizen and of the beautiful farmland here in Pennsylvania um, and as someone who loves nature and really wants to make sure that the next generation has the privilege that we do of eating food that they grew in their own soil from their own hands and all the benefits that come from that, that we are preserving the land for the next generation. You know, I think it part of the issue is that like inheritance taxes and stuff like that makes it difficult for the farmland to be pushed down to the next farmer in the family. It becomes very difficult to manage that sort of thing. And I there, I think there's supposed to be like exemptions and stuff like that, but I don't know that they're really happening. We've got, I don't think the problem isn't necessarily a disinterest in farming as much as the amount of work that has to go into it because of government regulations and everything else. I mean, in order to even have a farm and let's say you have animals and plants, they want to see like a layout of your farm and they put their dirty little hands in everything that you do, even if it's private. And I think we have a serious issue in the U S that extends beyond just farming, but really comes through farming because of because of the way things are happening. And let's be clear, you know, and, and to, are we worried about food shortages? Well, I think we all experienced some of those during COVID. I mean, there were times I went to the grocery store, I could not get the food that I normally would buy. I have walked in and most of the vegetables were empty on the shelf. And so that was just a taste of what it could be. And that was nothing having to wait maybe a a few weeks to get something else in. And, you know, I had substitutions I could do. But when you think about what we experienced, you know, a couple of years ago and what that could actually be, you know, we should all be out there gardening today, planting seeds and and praying, right? And and canning, since I've now become a canner. Yes. Thank you, Kathy. And canning again. you know, it is pause for concern because I, I it's something I'm very concerned about. And again, in my position uh, working in the charitable food industry, um, a lot of things that are not easily obtainable and so forth, it becomes, um, it's concerning uh, in so many levels. What are you, I mean, Kathy, what are you, you keep talking about the food shortage. Like, tell yeah. me, what are you seeing? Well, you know, it's funny you were saying that, Stephanie, when you're talking about the farmers and the cumbersome uh, governmental regulations, I was visiting, I visit different, because we rescue a lot of the food. I mean, while we talk about this, the United States wastes 40% of our food supply. So, um, and there are a lot of reasons for that. Best Buy dating is one thing, you know, it's kind of meaningless. You can keep a lot of that stuff for a year or two beyond canned goods and so forth. But um, I was with a, a, a congressman and uh, a summer two years ago visiting some farmers uh, auctions and so forth. And he was discussing some of those 
regulations, even like from the amount of manure that your animals produce. And he said a lot of it is, and he's an agriculture guy. I mean, that's his background as this representative. He said it makes it so cumbersome. And it goes to what you were saying, Stephanie, that these farmers can't possibly keep up with all the regulations and data that they're collecting. And he said the sad thing is a lot of the people implementing these data are bureaucrats who've never farmed a thing in their life. You know, and they're telling people who've been farmers their entire lives, this is what you're supposed to do. And then um, we're mowing down. I, I visited a farm auction where they mowed down 20 acres of green beans because there was no one working at the cannery to get them there, to get them, you know, processed. So, and that's just a small thing. And I think those things are happening throughout the country. Uh, it's hard to get canned goods in our um, charitable food system. Rice is almost impossible to get. So a lot of staples you used to have in plenty just aren't there to the degree that they're needed. And Heather, I'd just be interested in your take on some of these things. I mean, I see it there with people who are in need. You know, what do you see it on, again, on the macro level with all of it? Yeah, I think what concerned me last year is when I was listening to wholesalers talk about the cost of cherry tomato seeds, um, and it was just astronomical for a pound of cherry tomato seeds, um, which then means that you and I as a consumer uh, to buy those seeds was very expensive. And I love yellow watermelon, personal yellow watermelons are like one of my favorite things in the world to eat. And I had not saved the seeds and one package of 10 seeds was $7. So you better bet your bottom dollar this year when I grew them, I saved them because I'm not, it's just becoming astronomical. And I think we're all experiencing that every time you go to the store, things are more and more expensive. And sadly, you know, our generation uh, didn't pay attention when our grandparents were canning or uh, they didn't pay, pay attention. And I just, um, you know, my, my family knows that I'm on the lookout for a farm. And, you know, um, you know, my mother shared with me that my great grandfather during the depression was buying farmland and his reason for buying it is because quote unquote, they're not making it anymore. Um, so I feel that way that, you know, if you are passionate about doing this, uh, you need to learn. Uh, There's a lot to know, but there are a lot of people like myself who are willing to share with you what we do know. And, um, you know, we'd be delighted to continue this conversation over at Garden Thoughtfully about how we do plant partners to bring in the good guys and keep out the bad guys. Uh, You know, here in Pennsylvania, we're number one in Lyme disease. So I plant things particularly to keep away those, those mosquitoes and keep away those ticks. And what can you do to help you know, sustain our native pollinators, help our farmers, but also help your uh, community by growing more food. And that's really what I want to focus on. So, and with seed saving, I think it's probably important to point out that if you're just getting regular seeds uh, and not the heirloom seeds, it's a little bit different, right? Because those seeds are now patented and it becomes illegal to seed state save, even if you can, I think you actually have to buy them because they don't, they don't reproduce like regular seeds do. So you really have to get to organic in order to be self-sufficient. You, yeah. you cannot, um, you don't, you, you don't want to save a normal pepper seeds for sure. Um, you definitely want to try if you can to buy organic or buy heirloom. Um, again, what we want is that genetic diversity if we can get it. Um, because that then means that that's less likely to uh, be succumb to a blight 
or um, have issues. So it's these things that you know you like, you taste good. I save my organic seeds for myself. Um, but uh, did you know that it's actually illegal to seed share here in Pennsylvania? This is the goes back to that weird law. Um, so I cannot sell my seeds um, without no. uh, regulation. I'm there, sorry. They have some. I'm sorry. Oh, go ahead. No, gonna, go ahead. But, no, but I was going to say that one. And then they had this thing, didn't they, where the government wanted you to register your backyard garden with the federal government? That's still government? a thing. Um, That's still a thing? People were going in to buy chicken biddies, you know, at stores this spring, and they were asking them how many they had and where they were going to be and all this kind of stuff. But they were asking you to register your backyard gardens. Um, look, I don't see that as a good sign. I see that as a very disturbing sign. And uh, we want to make sure that when we are showing up at township meetings, that we are encouraging our townships, as I have, to allow pollinator gardens, to allow vegetable gardens, to pe keep people um, you know, in what is the most important thing. You have to have food. Um, and it's important that you are involved in the conversation. So I think, you know, it's important that you find out what your regulations are um, and then be talking to your local representatives, too. I just found out about the seed sharing is I can't sell my seeds um, unless I'm willing to go through a lot of hoops with our government um, to test their purity. <laughs> so anyway, I, I just I, I think to your point, Steph, the regulations for our farms is really discouraging. It's extremely expensive. Um, but it's also really worrisome when you see large corporate entities buying up uh, all of our prime farmland. It goes back to what I said earlier, control the food supply and you control the people. You know, and it is, I, Heather, I have to say, before I met you, I never had little, it's really not that hard to preserve seeds. I thought that was like a big thing, but, you know, laid them out on my paper towels and dried them and then put them in my little paper uh, plastic bag with, you know, my peppers and my tomatoes and things and my spaghetti squash. I have to say also, it is incredibly satisfying to take the little seed that you dried from last year and then start it in a little pot and then plant it outside, eat the tomato, can the tomato, and you're like, I am king of the world. You know, it is seriously uh, satisfying to do that. It's truly the currency. You know, it is your currency. It is your um, your wealth is is owning your entire food process. What an incredible thing that you've done. So um, and so ahead. So let's just be clear for the audience members. How do you how do you dry your seed? You put on a paper towel. How long do we leave the paper towel out? Is it in the is it? in a window? Is it like, what am I doing exactly? Because quite honestly, I have no idea. None, zero. I feel like <laughs> so, the most superior at the moment, yeah, just so, a little yeah. superior. Oh, great. great. So depends on the seed. So this is going to apply to almost everything, but like a tomato seed. Um, but essentially you want to get them clean and all the stuff off of them as clean as you possibly can. So I usually wa wash them multiple times in clear, clean water, and then I will put them on multiple rounds of paper towels. And then my last step is to put them on a paper plate that I label and tell me why you want to label them. Cause you will not remember what kind of squash seed that is a week from now. <laughs> That's a very so, good point. That's a very good point. So make sure that you label everything. Um, I personally like uh, paper envelopes only because that prevents them from molding 
Um, I also have stainless steel boxes. They then go in. Some people put those in the refrigerator. Um, that's a good practice as well, just so that they stay nice so and cool. Can I use one of the ammo boxes, like the the steel yeah. ammo boxes? Yep. Yep. That's perfect my, with, my, with my decor. <laughs> yeah. Well, my thought was, Steph, you know, if we ever had a situation like, you know, California's had these wildfires, like what are the things if you were in a situation that you had to leave your house really quickly? What is something you'd want to take? And my seeds would be one of the first things that would go in my car. So it makes that's it why, That's what I love forever. about you. And I will, I just want to tell everyone, I was actually, you don't know this, Heather, but I was on a hike with you and she was picking seeds and she brought them back and she put them in my car unbeknownst to me. So I'm cleaning out my car last week is about two weeks after the fact. I'm like, what is this? that I'm pulling out and it's all this like fluffy stuff. And I thought <laughs> that the kids had like a stuffed animal that they had like taken some fluff out of. And I start to pull it out and I kind of grab some and all these seeds start flying through the air and flying through my car. And I'm like, this is Heather. One of her seeds did something to my car. And it was like, no, oh, Thank yeah. you. The monarchs say thank you. That's the host plant for the monarchs. And I had saved <laughs> a, uh, a common milkweed pod. Hundreds. And yes, it has hundreds of seeds in there. <laughs> All through my car, Heather. I wow. could have killed you like you're my four-year-old child. The monarchs say thank you. <laughs> <laughs> You know, all of these things, I, and I, I think this, you know, preserving seeds, planting things and so forth. Whenever we have people come into the food bank, I always give tours and talk to them. And I tell them, you know, beyond this, beyond growing it and eating the food, have food in your home that in case of an emergency or that you can't get things, have a good, decent amount of food that you um, can feed, so, so take care of your family. And um that you can also share with others if if need be. And, you know, the days I think of living like we're going to go to the grocery store um, tomorrow and then I'll go back tomorrow. I'll go to the grocery store every day. Just pretend like what if you couldn't do that for a couple of weeks or even months? You know, do you have things in your home, seeds or something that you could plant, you know, and grow food, but you can also eat and, and take care of your family? Because I think I really can, I'm really concerned about that. That could be a possibility of something we'd have to do. Well, I think it just you, it's it's joining a community, right? And uh, we're lucky to have a community of friends here who are specialists in different things. Um, so, in finding out what your community can do um, and what you all still need to learn, I think it's an extremely important thing. And uh, you know, value your time together by teaching each other how to do these things. And that's one of the things that I think we've tried to do is teach each other all of these different techniques so that we can all be successful in, um, you know, learning how to do these things that our grandparents uh, and great grandparents intuitively knew how to do. And, and we don't. And that's important. And that's something that keeps a common theme of the show, Stephanie, you know, find, you don't have to know everything, but find people who can complement what you know and help each other. Yeah. And have planning meetings. Yes. Um, with a glass of wine, even better. Even better. Right. <laughs> organic wine, of course. I just need to reiterate the organic wine, especially after speaking to Heather. And now perhaps you understand, Kathy, why you also want organic wine. Okay. I'm I'm not going like crazy person on this whole thing. You know, I, I feel like I dry seeds so and can, um, you know. We Let's see where we're at in another month. We'll just do a check-in on occasion just to, you know. All right. 
it's going to be like a scale. It's going to be a Kathy scale. It's going to be a sliding scale of like one to 10. Where are you on the organic oh. list? And right now we're at a two, but we're going to, oh. we're going to get you to where you're like a 10. Heather, could you please note that I was the one successfully drying seeds while the um, other one on here was the one asking how to do that. And now she's, you know, kind of ripping on me. So I just want to point that out. Look, I give my husband full support in his gardening efforts. 100%. I cheer him on from the kitchen as I am cooking his food that he has grown. Well, we all do our part to make things possible. As our time is winding down, Heather, do you have any final kind of one minute, 30 seconds to share with our guests, you know, of encouragement or what they should be doing. So we'll just say, you know, look, everybody is the beginner and uh, everybody can get better at what they're doing. And if you've been using chemicals or you've been tilling your gardens, this isn't a shame session. It's really about what can you do differently that will make your soil healthier and help your pollinators. If you want more information, um, our YouTube channel is garden thoughtfully. Um, so happy to um, have joined the conversation there and we can continue to, we put up educational content every week. And um, also too, if you're interested in learning more about plant partners, I recommend a book called Plant Partners by Jessica Walliser, which talks about the combination of plants you can put together that will help your garden grow more successfully and keep out the bad guys while inviting in the good guys. You know, we can't all be master gardeners, but we can take small steps to learn how to garden. We can make friends, we can share our gifts, we can plan, and we can prepare. So wherever you are, whatever you can do today, stand up, step forward, and speak out. <laughs>